Salutations, creature lovers. This is Mr. Venom welcoming you to episode 15 of No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Before I introduce the movie this week, let me go ahead and introduce my cohorts. As usual, coming to us from the Horror Countdown podcast, it's Mr. Don and Ellie. How you doing, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always great to be here. Excellent. And coming to us from the famous Cinema Attack podcast, it is Mr. Derek B. How the hell you doing, Derek? It's a going, you know, it's a <laughs> going. And thank you for mentioning Cinema Attack, because unfortunately it's no longer with us. No! Yeah, new work schedule. Can't. Oh. Yeah. I gotcha, that sucks. Well, whatever. Rest in peace, Cinema Attack. Maybe it was one, one of the day. few shows I actually listened to. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day we'll come back. You never know. All right, then, folks. So with that, uh, our movie this week. Uh, by the way, welcome to 2023. Of course, this is our first episode of the year. And uh, we we kind of decided to go back to some of the classic stuff as we've done some newer stuff over the last couple of episodes. Obviously, last episode was Troll, brand new movie from Finland. So this time we're turning the clock back all the way to 1957, and we are looking this week at The Monster That Challenged the World. An upheaval of nature tears loose a creature out of the nightmare of time. Spawned by an earthquake on the bed of the ocean, a reptilian earth-shaking beast of the sea. The monster that challenged the world. Tank. What's wrong? Blake's tank is caught in the undergrowth. My God! What happened? Oh my God! His body he died right in front of me. I couldn't help it. Let's go back. Talk sense. What's down there? I don't know. I never saw anything like it before. It's the size of a dinosaur and ten times more terrifying, hurling the horrors of the unknown at every living thing. has such a nice, easy, one-sentence synopsis, and that synopsis as follows. Giant mollusk monsters attack California. Yes, giant mollusks. Snails, I guess, would be the easy term. I don't know why they didn't just say snails, but they don't really say snails in the movie. They say mollusk multiple times. You don't even know they're really snails until later on when you actually see the shells. Exactly, yeah. For more than half the movie, they just look like slugs or, or, I don't know, Giant sentient log. uh, logs of shit. I don't know. <laughs> I, I watched a few reviews for the film after I watched it, and uh, some of the reviews out there are pretty funny. Uh, just basically describing what this monster looked like looks like before we see him in the shell. Yeah, it's like I said, so, a centipede and a lobster fucked each other. 
that's what I thought when I saw the trailer. I thought it was going to be like a centipede, millipede type thing, but yeah. All right, so this one, as I said, is coming from 1957. It is directed by Arnold Lavin. It is written by David Duncan and Pat Fielder. Our stars for this one are Tim Holt as Commander Twill Twilliger. (laughs) (laughs) The very lovely Audrey Dalton as Gail McKenzie and a cast of others. And then introducing Mimi Gibson, our our child actor, because what is a monster movie without a kid fucking up the works, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... With all of that said, let's go ahead and bring in Derek first. Derek, give me some general thoughts on the monster that challenged the world. Yeah, so this was actually a first-time watch. I knew of this movie for the longest time. Uh, I never got around to watching it for some weird reason. It, I don't know why, because it was pretty rentable. I remember it was like part of like the MGM Midnight Movie series. Is on various like releases for that series, like even like a few four packs and two packs with just that movie on it too. But uh, then Kino released it too on a Blu-ray that just recently went out of print. And yeah, I actually picked that Blu-ray up during like one of their sales before it went out of print, and I actually got you know it was like the benefit of like when people choose movies, I get to actually watch my Blu-rays for once. And uh, which is always a good thing, and uh, yeah, it's it's pretty standard 1950s monster movie. It kind of goes through the formula and the basic, even like a a lot of these movies back then that I found out right away. Like it kind of irritates me where they have like the open narration throughout these fucking movies. It's kind of annoying <laughs> now. <laughs> I look back, it all depends on the movie, like. This movie wasn't too bad, but then you get to like movies like It Came From Beneath the Sea, and I'm like, that's one of my negative things about that movie is is like way like they're narrating over actual scenes of dialogue. I'm like, what the fuck movie? But you know, it's like, yeah, it follows that format. You know, science, big tough macho Navy, usually army guy, <laughs> but today it's a Navy guy goes in and saves the day with the damsel in distress who's, you know, kind of a hesitantly strong character, but, you know, as the movie progresses, they become more needed on the big, muscular army guy to save the day, you know what I mean? You know, it follows the beats of a a typical 1950s movie. It kind of hurts it for me a little bit because it does follow those beats, beat for beat. Like, I even said this when I reviewed, on we spoke of Cinema Attack earlier, we did a killer giant insect show where we did the Deadly Mantis which I had a blast watching that movie, but I had kind of the same like feelings on it. It was like beat for beat. So I like, Oh, I called that happening like 20 minutes before it happened. You know what I mean? So it, it kind of hurts the movie for me when I get to guess those, but you know, I, I think the monster looks kind of cool. Like it's like fucking that last scene of it, just fucking crawling <laughs> on that, our little girl character. That was pretty fucking, and he's like, Jason Voorhees, he breaks through doors and shit. <laughs> great, you know. But uh, overall, it was an enjoyable watch. I wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be like a top tier creature feature, in my opinion. But overall, it's still fun. You know, there's worse things you watch. <laughs> that there are. Uh, Don, why don't you come on in and tell us your general thoughts on the monster? 
Yeah, I, I, I've seen this a couple of times. Um, I, I don't remember when. I, I remember seeing it like in the early 2000s when I had already like pillaged through all like the, the main stuff in the genre, and I, I was starting to like dig into like the hidden nuggets and you know stuff like uh, the Deadly Mantis and uh, Black Scorpion and you know Monster from Green Hell and some of the you know beginning of the end like that kind of like tier giant monster creature features kind of stuff. And yeah, I, I kind of agree. It, it is a formulaic piece. It doesn't really do anything original. It doesn't really do anything different. Um, you, you know, you get your standard, you know, signs that there's something happening. Uh, you know, the investigation into these incidents reveals the existence of the creature. It attacks several people, finally gets everybody on board to believing that there's something out there. And then it just becomes a race to stop them. And yeah, it's not anything that would be, you know, really original or creative. It, you know, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it's fun for what it is. I, I do wish there would be more creature um, action because this is one of the times I remember that there. I realized that the creatures don't really show up that much. They, you know, you get like two or three scenes that are like, you know, trailer fodder that, you know, they're going to be stuff that's put in the trailer to like showcase that it, it's got all this action and it's got all this kind of, you know, terrible stuff with the, you know, what, what the creature is capable of, but it doesn't really do anything else outside of that. Cause it kind of just like puts all of that stuff into the, you know, the, the opening attraction and stuff. But yeah, it, it, it's fun. I, it's not like a B tier effort. It's kind of like at the top of like the C tier kind of stuff where, you know, like your A stuff would be like your obvious ones. And then, you know, B tier is like, you know, giant claw and it came from beneath the sea and, you know, 20 million miles from earth and all that kind of stuff. And then this is kind of like right there at like the, you know, the second tier on like the drive-in kind of stuff. But yeah, it's still fun. It's still got its moments. I, you know, I, I do have a couple of other issues with it, but uh, otherwise, yeah, it's a, it's a fun ride. It's, you know, quick 83, 84 minutes. And uh, yeah, um, I, I I can say I have fun with it, but I'm not going to say it's, uh, you know, the, the, the best of this style, but uh, it's fun enough for what it is. Nice, nice. For me, I think I'm going to be coming in a little bit higher than you guys because um, despite the formulaic nature of this film, I had a blast with it. I had a really good time with it. Now, I do agree with Don that this movie needs more monster action because uh, in the first hour of the film, you really only get to see the monster twice. And it's usually just, I mean, we get one good scene underwater when we first get introduced to the monster, but then we get a, a little quickie when he pops his head out of the water to attack some people on a boat. And then that's it for the first hour. The rest of the, the uh, that first hour is um, a lot of character development, a lot of story development. But ultimately, I didn't mind that. Like, I like these characters. Um, Don knows that just this week I panned Infinity Pool because of stupid, idiotic characters. Yet here's a 1957 creature feature that probably cost five bucks and a Diet Coke. And there's not one character that bothered me in the whole movie. Even the kid, despite... Her kind of gumming up the works later in the film, I thought she still did a great job. I was really invested in these characters. I actually, I, I talk a lot about forced romances in my movies, but something about this one, like I wanted to see these two get together, you know, by the end of the movie, which they of course do. For whatever reason, yeah, this this worked for me. I thought this was really, really well edited. 
I got to see this on Blu-ray, so I actually got to see a nice uh, 720p cut of it, and it, it looks really nice. I mean, I was impressed with how nice it looks. Um, for a movie that I've never even heard of until late last year, like, unlike Derek, I had never even heard of this movie. So, uh, you know, Count Me is the second uh, co-host uh, to be watching this for the first time. This was a first-time watch for me. The only reason I decided to pick this movie was because I saw it on a top ten list of underappreciated creature features, I want to say sometime in either October or November of last year. And it was the only movie on the on the top ten that I didn't recognize. I, I had never heard the title. And I decided, why not? Let's give it a shot. Because in the countdown video, in the YouTube video, they actually show a couple of clips of the creature, and I, I thought they looked great. Well, after watching the entire movie, my opinion hasn't changed. I think these creatures look fucking great. Admittedly, they have a problem moving around on land. They're not very fast. They are sea creatures, yeah. ultimately. Yeah. So sometimes it's a little laughable. I mean, at one point, uh, towards the end of the movie, um, our 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 female lead and her daughter literally just walk in front of the creature. <laughs> just you know, th- there's literally a path on their left to go away from it, but they just nonchalantly go in front of it because the thing is so slow. Ultimately, it only has you know the element of surprise working at its uh, benefit. Though I don't know how a creature that big could sneak up on someone, even though it did in this movie. Granted, it was an older gentleman, so I guess I'll just. You know, chalk it up to maybe his hearing wasn't great, even though he heard water splashing from inside that water station. But again, suspension of disbelief. So I thought the bodies, I thought the dead bodies looked great. Yeah, those were pretty great. All of What little you see? Yeah, granted, you don't see a lot. Yeah, but I I, I do agree. I I do like the the gag where it pops up and you see the, I, I think it's the skydiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, it's the skydiver. Yeah, he pops up because he's still got the helmet on. That's right. Yeah, exactly. we see like the bulging head, and he's got like that look of terror on his face. Yeah, it, it looks yeah, really good. I mean, bulging eyes. I, I was impressed. I, I was legit uh, impressed hey, for the. Hey, my favorite part is when it just turns into like twenty minutes in the movie. It just turns into the party beach movie. <laughs> for, yeah, for like five minutes exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised Mystery Science Theater never picked this one up though. It is a Universal Artist movie, so that's probably why it probably wasn't royalty free, which was the kind of stuff that they did earlier on. But yeah, I think they could have had a good time with this movie. But yeah, like I said, effects, creature design, the execution of the creature, you know, like like I said, despite some of the land scenes just looking like a prop, it still kind of works for me, especially, you know, as you're watching it, you know, it's a film from 1957. So, you know, you tend to cut a little bit, little bit of slack. But yeah. I actually had a really good time with this movie. I, I All the gripes that have been talked about so far, the, the formulaic nature of it, the pacing, you know, maybe for the first two acts not being where it needs to be, things like that. I agree with all of that. But for whatever reason, I had a pretty good time with this one. I, I thought this was pretty decent. I thought it was kind of a cool, you know, setup for the story. Basically, the movie takes place at the Salton Sea, which is a, a landlocked uh, saltwater body out here in California. It actually mm-hmm. does legitimately exist. I, I looked up some information on it. it. It's a pretty small, it's basically a lake. It's like 35 miles uh, long by 14 miles across. It's not really a, a big thing, but the fact that there is a body of water in the middle of the ocean, literally it's surrounded by Southern California ocean, and then you just get this oasis in the middle. It's kind of interesting. And that those, of course, came from it, you know, in the movie, they talk about Indian wells and how, you know, some of the some of the water just kind of concentrated there. 
also under underground earthquakes and cracks in the in the earth's crust things like that so it's just really cool to see so yeah if if you're listening to us from southern california go check it out there's not a whole lot to do but it's just so cool to see a, a lake in the middle of the desert anyway uh, like I said, there's an earthquake and something is loosened from the earth. You know, we, you know, you don't really know what, but obviously like Derek, uh, yeah, like Derek said, we see a naval kind of paratrooper, um, going on, uh, pra- you know, ex- exercises and, you know, he parachutes into the Salton Sea. Uh, it, it, it's supposed to be fairly routine. You know, he falls into the water and, and then a boat, you know, a dinghy or something goes out and picks him up. Unfortunately, this time when the boat went out to pick up the parachuter, they can't find the body. He's nowhere to be seen. They do end up seeing his parachute without him attached to it in the water. And then that's when one of the one of the guys on the boat decides to jump in the water, which I thought was pretty damn brave. But at the same time, these are naval guys and they don't know there's monsters in the water. So and so, yeah, he basically jumps in and somehow the body of the paratrooper comes floating up to the top. And like I said, I think this looks great, especially because you're not expecting something this gnarly looking. No, it's not. In this that's, time not that's not it. That's when that, that's later in the film. Uh, what happens is he dives under and then doesn't come up. And then the other guy on the boat is shadow attacked. And then it's the failing, uh, failing of those oh, guys yeah, right. back in that, sends them, that sends them out where we discovered later. Yep, yep, yep. You are right. Yeah. But yeah, so we get our first silhouette of the monster in this scene where we actually see what looks like a centipede or like the head of a centipede kind of shadowing over a guy silhouetting over him. So, you know, we get our first idea of the general shape of this thing. Later on, you know, there's more, inter- obviously there's more interactions with the monster, not as much as we'd like to see later on after they find the body of the missing paratrooper. They do send some people out there to kind of see what's going on. That's when this group, including our commander and Dr. Rogers, our scientist of the film, also end up getting attacked while they're in a small boat. And this is where, you know, we get to see a, a nice shot of the creature. Eventually, they do go down under the water and they find that they're basically living in like a a cave system, like a reservoir system that connects all the bodies of water, all the Indian wells that I was talking about. It connects them underground. So obviously these things and as of right now in the film, you know, as a viewer, you kind of think that there's just one of these things. But then as the movie goes along, we do get an egg. Uh, Our divers are able to go down to the bottom of the water and get an egg. What do you guys think of this egg? I thought it looked like a big old balloon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they probably could have used that for the sequence just to, like, put it on screen. Exactly, yeah. So, uh, like I said, in their infinite wisdom, they take the egg and they know it's an egg, too. It's not even like they're they're not sure. Like, instantly, they, they realize that it looks like some kind of, you know, membraned egg. They take it back to the lab. They realize that if they keep it at a low enough temperature, just above freezing, I think they mentioned 38 degrees Fahrenheit in the movie, that it'll prevent the egg from hatching. So the egg is just basically dormant in this lab. But obviously, more people end up getting attacked. Uh, we, we get the uh, the we get we get the beach blanket bingo. Uh, yeah, beach blanket bingo scene where uh, you know we get uh, once again another beautiful young girl going out with her her boyfriend Morty. <laughs> Fucking Morty. Anyway, they end up going out to the beach, you know, having a little lover's swim, blah, blah, blah. And they eventually, you know, first Very the boyfriend disappears. The What's that? 
Here are humanoids from the deep. This oh, is. absolutely. Yes, rape fish. Definitely. Very much so. Rape snails. <laughs> rape snails. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, you know, our couple's swimming. The guy's the first one to disappear. She can't find him. If this was a, I, w- I was thinking if this movie was shot in the 80s, they, they would have done the jump scare where he comes out of the water to prank her, you know, but no. Or it would be like Galaxy of Terror. <laughs> oh, that's true, too. <laughs> rape worm. <laughs> no, no rape worm, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> and then eventually they are also attacked. I believe uh, they don't end, end up finding their bodies, but they do find articles of their clothing that are recognized, uh, recognizable. So they basically know that the two kids are now missing. Later in the film, I think they do find a, you know, a piece of the girl, but you know, we, we don't get to see much of that aftermath. But like I said, the ones that we see are pretty goddamn awesome. And uh, let's see, where do we go from there? Uh, we do start to get a kind of sort of explanation. Apparently, you know, because of the radioactivity at the bottom of Salton Sea, that this could be potentially a cause. Uh, uh, one character in the movie actually calls it radioactive ooze, and instantly I'm like, ooh, Ninja Turtles. We're getting Ninja Turtles. Awesome. Now, well, Ninja Slugs, whatever. Imagine. <laughs> right? <laughs> imagine, imagine these slugs with, like, the, don- the, like, the headbands on. Exactly. And in that scene, um, I, f- I forgot to mention that in the scene where they go down and get that egg, th- this is where we get our first like good look of the creature. And we basically just see it chilling in a cave, just kind of looking out, uh, watching these divers fuck around with its egg. I don't know why it doesn't attack right away, but whatever. It does eventually end up attacking one of the divers. It basically bites them in the back of the head. And just drains all their shit out. We, we actually get a mollusk uh, history lesson uh, in the movie where they kind of explain how mollusks eat. And what they do is very much like a spider where they basically suck in the juices of their victim rather than actually, you know, eating the entire carcass. Which explains why we're finding all these, you know, empty uh, human carcasses because they're just getting sucked dry. And uh, what, what, what was that movie? That was Mimic, right? Where that thing sucked people from the back of the head, too. It was sucking out their brain or whatever. Was yeah. that Mimic or The Relic? Uh, it, I think it was both. It might have been both. Nice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Was, well, I, we did Relic, yeah. We haven't done Mimic yet. But that, that was kind of cool. It gave me, like, little shades of Relic and whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah. So, at this point, you know, we've seen a, pe- a, a couple of people attacked. The egg is safely at the lab, or at least we think it is, because unfortunately, the receptionist at the lab, who is Audrey Dalton, uh, the character's name, Gail McKenzie, she is the receptionist there. Unfortunately, she has an eight-year-old daughter. Um, We find out early in the film that her husband passed away. He was also a seaman, and he uh, passed away on a mission of some kind. I forget exactly what. One of the things that I, I... Notice that was kind of weird about this movie is how not sexist this movie is. Did you guys notice that? Like 50s creature features are usually very sexist. Like they'll talk down to women or they'll they'll just kind of bypass anything that they say. But this one, I mean, granted, there's only two female characters in the movie, and that's, you know, our receptionist and then uh, the wife of our original victim, of our first victim. Or no, no, she's the wife of one of the victims that is taken down when they get the egg. That's right. Um, but yeah, I mean, they they treat both female characters very respectfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, the commander is very kind to her when she tells her him the story about uh, her dead husband. Obviously, the the commander doesn't really have a lot of experience with this because the first thing he says after is, "Would you like a cigarette?" 
It's like I, it's poor, poor guys just trying to think of anything that might get this, you know, that might relax this girl or, you know, whatever, calm her down, blah, blah, blah. But uh, no, no, she refuses the cigarette. They they go on their separate ways. Whatever husband died from cancer. What an asshole. Was that it? No, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say shit. <laughs> Eventually, at one point in the film, our, our two main characters, Commander Twilliger and Gale, end up going on a kind of sort of date. And um, my God, this, this is one scene that I will definitely say is just boring as hell. If it wasn't for the Mexican kid selling pens, this scene, like, I don't know why the Mexican kid tickled me so much. Like, I just thought he was fucking adorable and he actually broke the tension of the date because the date was just dull as shit just watching these two people you know try to make a polite conversation <laughs> yeah it definitely wasn't the date scene in reptilicus that's for sure yep yep and i also for i also forgot to mention a very important part of this film the fact that every time one of these creatures attack Semen. they leave yeah they leave some kind of ooze and unfortunately ooze. the only thing that it looks like is literally semen i can't think of any i've never seen a substance that looks like this it literally just looks like buckets of semen i'm sorry to be so crass but yeah and they leave it all over the place just so we watch the colorized version and it's really the green ooze from Ninja oh Turtle. god I, I would be okay with that it's, it looks so white in the in a, on a black and white yeah. film obviously i guess it yeah. could have color but yeah, so we're finding this white stuff all over the place, which you know almost and everyone's makes me feel just like touching a it. A pervert. What's that? Everyone's just touching it too. Yeah, and everybody's touching it with no gloves on, just sticking their hands in it. Like, oh, what's this shit? Ah, yeah, rub it on everything. their skin. And there's, there's, like I said, there's even a sequence early on where they notice it's radioactive when one of the guys. They they bring the device into the lab just as like they're doing it for like some other thing and he's like calibrating it and the doctor walks off and the thing goes off and it's like wait what like it's not supposed to do that and then they stick it up even closer and it like shoots off the Geiger counter so it's like the, they know the thing's radioactive and yet everybody's just like touching it and all that kind of stuff Robert, yeah this is the giant behemoth half these people have been dead already <laughs> yeah that that is absolutely valid. Ultimately, though, I mean, we don't know how radioactive, like I, they mentioned something like it's 1.5 on the Geiger counter, which I have no fucking idea what that means. Yeah, but, that's true. Obviously, no one thought it was all that dangerous to be around. I think they were just commenting that, yes, it is. Uh, uh, it is radioactive. I will say these things and yes, things plural. We do eventually start seeing more and more of them coming out uh, of different areas of the different spots in the water system. We see one attacks an old guard. This one I kind of call bullshit on because it is out in the open. It is fucking silent as the grave. And somehow this thing sneaks up on the old guy, this thing that's like slithering around. This thing's got to be like nine feet long. I mean, it's taller than a human being when it's like upright, but it doesn't, you know, like a slug. It doesn't stand upright on its end, just like one of the uh, more middle parts of the body. So th this thing's got to be like nine, ten feet long. And of course, somehow it sneaks up on our old guy. And takes him out. The same M.O. as we've been seeing throughout the film. He sneaks up from behind, bites yeah, him in the back of his head. Yeah, he's fucking John Rambo. There you go. 
I forgot to mention that these things apparently are uh, pretty easy to kill because in, in, I think, the second scene where we actually see the creatures, one of them is killed by our commander, and all he does is takes, like, just a big pole off the boat and stabs it into one of the eyes. These eyes, they literally look like they're just a thin membrane because they pop with the slightest, like, push. You know, it's not a sharpened stick, uh, a sharpened pole, mind you. It's just a standard pole, and he just pops this eye open. You get this great squish, and, you know, you, you get to see the thing kind of fall back into the water and die. This, so, at least they're is, not hard to kill. Yeah, this <laughs> scene was made in the 80s. You know, some black pus shit would have just popped out and sprayed all over the commander. Oh, hell yeah. If this was a Sam Raimi movie, oh, there'd be cum all over the place. (laughs) I Ah, cum. Jesus. All right. So at one point in the film, um, our our receptionist and her daughter are at the lab. They're there by themselves. And at the lab, they have these rabbits that they, you know, that they kind of do experimentation on, medical experimentation, whatever. And our little girl, uh, what was her name? The actress's name is Mimi Sandy. Sandy is the little girl's name in the movie. Uh, She makes friends with one of the rabbits. She actually, like, names it and she visits it every time she goes to the lab. On one of her last visits to the lab, she notices that the rabbit is shaking. Uh, you know, he, he and he looks cold. Obviously, a little girl sees an animal shaking. She thinks it's specifically that it's cold. Obviously, it could be a variety of other things. But in this case, she thinks it's cold. She decides to walk up to something that looks like a thermostat. But what, what it is, it's actually the temperature regulator on the tank that is holding the egg. Remember, I mentioned earlier that they're keeping the egg in a tank kept at 38 degrees Fahrenheit so that it wouldn't mm-hmm. uh, hatch. This little girl turns it all the way up, thinking it's the thermostat for the room, not realizing that it's for the tank. And then, of course, within a couple of minutes, you know, our egg hatches. Our egg actually ends up hatching just as our naval team gets to uh, a spot in the in the in the Salton Sea where they think the nest is, where they think the majority, if not all of the eggs are located We get kind of a lackluster scene. Like, this scene wasn't all that exciting, because basically all we see is we see the two naval divers go down to the bottom of the the sea. They see the creatures. Apparently, they're sleeping. This is one of the first times that we actually see them with their shells on. So they are actually, like, you know, legit snails chilling out inside of their shells. So, like I said, uh, the naval guys are putting their charges all over the place, their explosive charges. One of the charges, the pin doesn't want to come out right away, so it kind of delays the, 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 their escape. Because of that delay, one of the creatures does end up waking up, coming out of its shell. And um, it, you think that he's going to start go, go to attack the, the diver. Uh, but no, uh, we get the most boring ending possible. We basically, the divers leave the water. They go back up. Uh, after about 10, 20 seconds of them being up above the water surface, we hear a big kaboom. All the creatures and, die. And, <laughs> and Dr. Rogers basically says, okay, we'll wait about a half hour to an hour. We'll let the sediment, you know, kind of settle back down. And then we'll go da- back down and make sure that we that they're all gone. We don't actually get that scene. So I guess we're just to assume that they are all gone. What we do get as our finale is our commander and Dr. Rogers going back to the lab. And while they're in transit, our egg that's at the lab does hatch. indeed hatch. Uh 
and uh, we, we see Sandy go back to where the rabbits are, and all the rabbit cages are torn open. There's sea, sla- sea snail cum all over the place. <laughs> I don't even know what to call it anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I, you know, she doesn't notice anything other than that. I, I'm kind of surprised that she didn't even react to that because literally she walks up to the series, uh, the, the area with all the cages. All the cages are torn open. They got radioactive ooze, you know, dripping off of them. But she doesn't scream. She doesn't say, Grace, Grace, where are you? That's her, the rabbit that she named. She just nonchalantly calls out, Grace. Are you around? And then, of course, our monster rears its ugly head. And and this is a pretty good finale, actually. We, um, Despite, and I've said this a couple times already, and I'll say it again, despite the fact that these slugs, snails, whatever you want to call them, don't really move well on land, it can still create a, a pretty compelling uh, final scene. Basically, the creature, the last living creature, um, to our knowledge, is attacking Gail and her daughter, Get some trapped in a closet. The creature is about to is literally doing a Jason Voorhees and just chopping the goddamn door down with its uh, fangs, I guess. Here's Sluggy. Um, eventually, just as Sluggy gets the door open or, you know, gets the top half of the door crashed off, in comes our commander to save the day. He starts just grabbing random uh like flasks and vials off of the lab desk, hoping that one of them might actually affect the slug. So he's just throwing random bottles at it. Nothing seems to have any effect until he gets a chemical fire extinguisher. When he pulls out the chemical fire extinguisher, it doesn't seem like it's hurting uh, the creature, but it does get its attention and it get, it gets his attention long enough so that Gail and Sandy can get out of the closet, walk right in front of the creature to get behind the commander who's still basically spraying it with the uh, chemical fire extinguisher. Um, the monster is just kind of sitting there, you know, roaring, writhing, whatever you want to call it. Just, you know, basically just trying to keep the, um, the extinguisher, stuff out of his face out of his eyes eventually the fire extinguisher ends like it expires it's empty there's nothing left in it the monster starts to make a move towards the commander and then you guys might want to correct me on this i think that was freon that was a freon tube like a refrigeration that he pulled out because then because remember they were saying that cold temperatures affect these things because that's what i thought as well because he never really says he never says nope. what it is, but yeah, he rips it out of the thing, and it's like he looks at it, and there's like a light bulb moment, and then he just like yanks it out and points it at it because he notices that the, the he notices that the fire extinguisher that he's using is about to go out, so he's looking around and then he sees that tube, and then there's like a light bulb moment, and then he just yanks he go, it goes for it and yanks it. So yeah, I. I, I that's what I was thinking as well, because they never really say what it is. I mean, it, it has a, the, a kind of similar reaction because it's like instantaneous. You see, like all the stuff, like yeah. the spray of it form on the creature's body where it hit it. So I, exactly. I think that's what it is. There you go. You know what would be great? <laughs> mm-hmm. If there was like a can of salt on one of the tables, and he's like, "Ah, snail, ah, snail." I actually, I actually said that twice while I'm watching the movie. I'm like, "Really? Is like a, just a big old barrel of salt not a good enough idea?" Because what creature feature was that from like the same time period where it was it was salt? They they ended up getting like big barrels of salt and killing whatever. Shit. 
Damn, it's been it's been a long time yeah. since I've seen it, but yeah. So basically, <laughs> so instead of salt here, we got Freon, or I'm assuming Freon. Let's just say, for sake of argument, it's Freon, some kind of refrigerant. Sprays it at the monster. Now the monster is actually writhing in pain and yelling. Uh, the whole and, uh, on top of the salt, the whole time I'm thinking, does no one have a weapon? Like this guy is a naval, he's a lieutenant commander in the navy. But he doesn't have a sidearm, which kind of freaks me out. But eventually he is able to thwart the monster long enough that some naval, you know, um, troops come in. And with their rifles, they are then able to shoot the monster. And that's pretty much the end of our movie. Our, our monster keels over. We get one sweet little scene with the commander carrying Sandy, you know, the little girl out of the lab. And he's having a little bit of a conversation with Gale. So... I'm pretty sure it's safe to say the commander's getting some tonight. He saved oh, Gail yeah. and her daughter. So, yeah, commander's, he's getting You're lucky. my to... daddy now. Another thing that I found funny is that the commander, he wasn't exactly a young man. Like, he was, like, 40. Yeah, he was, like, old, like, middle-aged, like, man. But throughout the movie, they were calling him young. Like, they were like, oh, what a handsome young man, somebody said. And he's I'm like, hey. It was the Mandela <laughs> effect. They were casting older guys to play young guys all the time. Because the whole time that they're on their first little dinner date where they're just kind of hanging out, I'm like, you look like father and daughter. You you do not look like a couple. I don't understand why everybody's and, – and people like coworkers of Gail have actually been like, you know, giving her the elbow and nudging her saying, hey, that guy's kind of cute and, he's, and you're single, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. It could I, have I, just I, been the script and this was like the best actor that they found that would be willing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out if that was the case where he was like the it was written for like a the, for like a younger guy because Gail herself barely looks like she's like late twenties. Exactly. I, I mean, like back then, uh, it's kind of hard to tell just because of like you know age, the makeup, and I mean it's black and white. But I mean, she doesn't look any more like late twenties, and yet you know she's got like a six or seven year old daughter. So. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I just looked. I just looked it up. The actor who plays uh, Commander Twilliger, Tim Holt, he was 48 when this movie was shot. Damn. That's pretty old. <laughs> I mean, for being like a love interest for a movie, I was kind of surprised. Um, but and he looks every day of 48 actually in this movie. So Clint Eastwood took that fucking to heart, and he's like, "I'm gonna do that in all my movies now." Well, Clint Eastwood's like 105 in all his movies. So. Yeah, he's banging like 20-year-olds, and it's great. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the Tom Atkins effect. <laughs> Old doughy guys can fuck anybody in a movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, like I said, folks, that's our, uh, that's our film for the month. Um, like I said, I had a really good time with it. Um, it's definitely something I can see myself both purchasing and watching again. Um, you know, I... I it is ultimately Don and Derek are correct. It is very formulaic. We've we've seen it before. If you've seen a multitude of, you know, 50s, 60s creature features, then you've seen stuff like this. I'll I'll probably hold this a little bit in higher regard. Like it's not quite like Don was saying that he kind of looks at it as a B uh, C tier. I I kind of look at it as B because uh, you know, looking at stuff like them as a tier, like I said, I had no issues with this movie. The effects all worked. The characters all worked. The pacing. Yes. OK, the pacing is a little slow and maybe a little bit heavy on character development in the first half of the film. 
But ultimately, I thought this was a, a nice little film. I thought this was a cool little film. It entertained me for the, the, the entirety of the run. I didn't get bored. I wasn't looking at my phone. So ultimately, I had a good time with this one. Um, guys, closing thoughts? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I'd watch it again. I didn't say like it was terrible, like I said, you know, but uh, it was pretty, you know, I would probably put it like bottom of B tier, if that makes sense. Like absolutely, it, like B minus. Yeah. That's probably where I'm thinking. Yep. Yeah, you know, C tier is usually where I start going like, like a tail sting. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's like the creeping terror and. Uh, oh, creeping terror is like fucking you know, creeping terrors. <laughs> Talk about pacing! Wow. Uh, and the killer shrews that were actually just dogs in costumes. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I definitely hold this movie above most of those. It's definitely not like them by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, them for 1954 is a fucking masterpiece. So yeah, I definitely don't put this movie up in that regard. I mean, it's sitting at a six on IMDb. That's that's pretty damn good for a creature feature. So yeah, some people like it. So yeah, uh, Don, any closing thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I I've seen it the most, and it's not like I, I I even hate it. I mean, my issue is that you know the the creature looks sluggish when on land. I I I I have I hold that up over more than the 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 pacing thing. I, I'm mm. only pointing it out just because, I, like I said, I, I want more creature action. But yeah, yeah it, it you know it's like a B C tier level film. I, I I put it at C maybe because I've seen a little bit. So, I mean, I don't know how deeply into this you guys have gone, but I I, I say it's like a B, C tier level film. I mean, I have it at the top of C. You guys want to put it at the bottom of B. Is that really <laughs> splitting much difference? Exactly. Yeah. C plus, B minus, it's all the same. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's a fun time. I mean, you know, it's 84 minutes. You're not going to really regret it that much. You know, do you want more, the monster on screen more? Yeah, you do. Does it look like crap when it does? Yeah, it does. But, it, you know, it, it's still fun for this kind of genre. It, it still doesn't have too many um, issues. There's, like, no real extreme lapses of logic. There's no real, you know, hokey romances. Everything comes out in the end. I mean, it, your tolerance for this kind of cliche thing is probably going to vary. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. it's there. It, you can use that as much of a detriment as you want. Is it the best out there? No, but it, it's fun for what it is, and I think that's the the best thing that it the best thing that I can say about it is it's fun for what it is. It's not the best, but it it is what it is. You know what, John? I'm changing my grade. I'm going to make it an <laughs> e e tier. E. Is yeah, I'm making it a thing now. Stop skipping the letter E. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. All right, folks. Well, that episode for uh, 15, actually. Oh, I'm, I'm a little bit behind. Yeah, Starting that's episode. Lose track. Exactly. <laughs> that is episode 15 of No More Room in Hell Presents Creature Comforts. Once again, I am Mr. Venom on behalf of Derek B. and Donna Nelly. Thank you so much for joining us. We genuinely appreciate it. And we'll see you next month with our friend Brandon from the Anatomy of Fear. So we're looking forward to that one. So <laughs> say goodbye, folks. Bye. Later. Watch out, watch out for that semen. It might be radioactive. Yeah, don't slip yeah. on that shit. It probably smells like ass. Yeah, it's the monster that came in on the world. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Welcome back to our Halloween special at SCG3 92.2 FM. Moving on with our hell of a Halloween heavy metal show, here's a hit song from way back. <laughs> 